0: Welcome to Physicians Off the Beaten Path, a podcast where we've set out to bust the myth that physicians can't venture outside the traditional clinical or research career path. My name's Shad and I'm an MD and a Harvard MBA student interested in healthcare investing and consulting.
1: And my name is Alex. I am an MD pursuing an Oxford Computer Science PhD and an MBA at Harvard Business School. I'm interested in healthcare investing and entrepreneurship.
0: Today's our first installment of our Physician Entrepreneur Series we'll be talking to Dr. Martin-Emmanuel Bittner. So Alex, you're a resident entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about entrepreneurship.
1: Okay, sir, I'll give it my best shot. My favorite definition is by our own Harvard Business School professor, Howard Stevenson. It goes as, entrepreneurship is the pursuit of opportunity without regard to resources currently controlled. In essence, it is about finding creative, resourceful and innovative solutions to capture an external opportunity. In for-profit entrepreneurship, it is capturing a market opportunity. In social entrepreneurship, it is capturing an opportunity to make social good. And in intrapreneurship, it is capturing the opportunity of innovation inside a big corporation. Entrepreneurship is not limited to that, however, one can also be entrepreneurial on a personal level as well.
0: Great definition, Alex. Um, So as mentioned, our guest today is Dr. Bittner. Dr. Bittner is the CEO of Arcturus, the world's first fully automated drug discovery platform that he co-founded in 2016. He graduated as a medical doctor from the University of Freiburg in Germany, followed by his doctorate in oncology as a Rhodes Scholar at the University of Oxford. He has extensive experience in research covering both clinical trials and preclinical drug discovery, and is an active member of several leading cancer research organizations and was elected as a member of the Young Academy of the German National Academy of Sciences back in 2018. Thank you, Martin, for joining us.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Fantastic.
1: Martin, so from many of your interviews, you mentioned that you were always interested in research. Can you tell us more about your early life and why you eventually decided to go into medicine and oncology research? And were you always interested in moving your academic knowledge into the industry? Or was it in response to
2: a specific market need that you came across during your journey? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very happy to share a bit about my personal background and story. So as you mentioned, I'm from Germany originally. So I grew up kind of in the very southern part of the country. And I do come from a family family where there's quite a few doctors. I mean, as you know, kind of in many cases medicine seems to run in the family. So I've always been exposed to medicine from an early age onwards. But at the very same time during high school, I was always interested in the sciences as well as the humanities, which made choosing a subject for university quite difficult. But medicine really was was kind of then the kind of my chosen my chosen field. Maybe I should add that in Germany, like in most European countries, medicine is an undergraduate degree. So you basically go straight into medical school after you finished high school. And for me, what medicine meant was bringing together my love for the natural sciences with the very strong desire to have a positive impact on people. And that is something where medicine really is a unique subject in many ways, because you're really grounded in the sciences and grounded in in biology, physics, chemistry, biochemistry, et cetera, while at the same time applying your knowledge to something which is helping people live longer and healthier lives. And throughout medical school, there was very much kind of a recurring theme for me, exploring those various different disciplines and learning about pediatrics and surgery and oncology, et cetera. And I was very lucky to do one of my rotations in the Department of Clinical Oncology where I found a wonderful set of colleagues, where I found a strong desire to do research and to improve our current treatment options, and where I saw kind of a very clear need for doctors to contribute to helping patients either kind of cure kind of their the disease or kind of if necessary support them with palliative treatment options. So in other words, oncology was the field that I found that I found for myself, where I could see having this again, this combination of positive impacts with a strong grounding in research and in progress that we're making towards these better treatments. So that was why I chose to start my specialty training in oncology. At the very same time, because I wanted to contribute to finding these new and better treatment options, I then decided to go to the UK and do a PhD as a way to learn about what research looks like, what research actually constitutes. And to get kind of a better understanding for what the path towards a new drug a new treatment actually looks like. Because in my experience, in too many cases, doctors do not have enough of an understanding what research entails and what lab research in particular looks like. So I wanted to close that gap kind of for my own benefit and to be able to better lead research projects at the intersection of laboratory and the clinic. So that's how I came to Oxford. And then during the PhD, two things happened. So one is that, first of all, I learned about myself that this desire for positive impact is something which is really kind of my guiding guiding motive, when many ways, when you think about hospital care, you can treat one patient at a time. When you think about research, you can treat, ideally, tens, tens of thousands of patients at a time by finding one new drug. So... In other words, research for me was the key to maximizing the potential impact one can have. And the second important realization was that you do not have to be in a clinical setting, even if you've qualified as a doctor. There's so many additional career paths you can choose. And Oxford is a great place to learn about that because you're surrounded by extremely smart, extremely hardworking people from so many different backgrounds with so many different career paths. And either kind of by interacting with your colleagues, with your um, fellow students, or by learning from people who are giving talks, you can broaden your horizon in a way that you realize there is far more to medicine than only working in a hospital. There's so many different things you can do and ways in which you can have extremely positive impact. So those were kind of the two things that really kind of happened at the same time, kind of broadening one's horizon and reasserting that impact really is the driving force for me.
1: That's amazing. Thank you very much for sharing, um, Martin. And so at Arcturus, you're very interested in finding ways to generate reproducible and high quality metadata and, and experimental data with the end goal of fast tracking the production of medication and making them more personalized and cost effective. Can you tell us what is automated drug discovery and how is it being made possible by Arcturus? And how can... Arcturus's work contribute to reducing the cost, improving the efficacy and increasing access to healthcare especially in the context of a global pandemic.
2: So to answer the question, I'm going to briefly share kind of how the idea for Arcturus basically came about in the first place. As I said when I entered the laboratory in Oxford, this was very much the first proper lab experience I collected and I have to say I was slightly surprised because in my mind and kind of my very naive assumption kind of as a clinician was the lab research was a lot about thinking, a lot about planning, a lot about hypothesizing and coming up with new ways to explain, for example, a certain disease, and then to run a few experiments to confirm what one has hypothesized. The reality is that highly qualified and highly skilled postdocs, PhD students, even junior professors, spend seven, eight, nine hours every day manually performing experiments manual cell culture, pipetting into PCR plates, etc. It's a very long, cumbersome, and error-prone process that leaves hardly any time to actually read the literature, to actually discuss ideas with one's colleagues, because everybody is so busy with just manually running experiments trying to generate data, which in many cases are really not as robust and not as insightful as they should be. I think everyone who's once done a Western blot kind of knows how frustrating it can be when you're troubleshooting an experiment that worked yesterday and it just stops working for unexplicable reasons. Mm-hmm. And at the very same time, in many cases, these experiments provide us with ambiguous results. And we're left to wonder kind of whether the answer to the question is this way kind of or that way. So in other words, as researchers, we're spending the majority of our time generating data that is of very limited use. And at the same time, when I made these experiences myself in the lab, there were a few reports coming out at roughly the same time, when researchers in large pharmaceutical corporations, such as Bayer in Germany and Amgen in the US, published their findings, very scary findings, in that the majority of peer-reviewed, published research findings that they looked at to start their own drug discovery programs, were found not to be reproducible. In fact, they found that up to 80 or even 90% of the research findings not robust enough, not reliable enough, and were not of sufficient quality for them to then embark on those projects for drug discovery. And that really struck me kind of as as a very, very scary finding that we have this archaic, outdated work on on the one hand, and that we have, as a result, we have this very poor data quality and very low degree of reproducibility on the other hand. So for me, that was the starting point to think about how can we do things differently and how can we do things better? So that is how Octoris came about when I spoke. and kind had of many conversations with my co-founder, kind of a close friend who is a chemist by background. And so we went, went and looked at the problem from these two very complementary angles. Chemistry, molecular design on the one hand, and clinical trials and cell molecular biology on the other hand. And what we then designed and came up with was to develop an automated drug discovery platform that uses robotics to run experiments, where researchers can spend their time thinking, hypothesizing, planning what they want to do next. In other words, where researchers can focus on higher value tasks and activities while leaving the experimental execution to robotics. So that is kind of the idea we came up with, and that is the company we started. And over the past few years, we've now built Actoris into a globally operating company that is still headquartered in Oxford, but it already has a subsidiary in Singapore that is opening its Boston office later this year, where with Arcturus, we can help scientists in academic centers, in biotech companies and pharma companies worldwide, in that they can come to us, we design projects with them, we use our very experienced team to help them guide, guide kind of their path towards drug discovery success. And we can use our fully automated platform to help them generate data that is robust, reliable, and allows them to make the right decisions at the right time.
1: That is fantastic. And I'm so excited to hear about the expansion of ArcToris. So, Martin, here at uh, Physicians of the Beaten Path, uh, we talk to an audience of clinicians who are interested in topics beyond the traditional clinical career path. As an entrepreneur and biotech founder and CEO, what were the biggest challenges that you faced while pursuing uncharted waters?
2: So one of the first things you realize is that when you're a clinician, you don't really know much about business or entrepreneurship. It's simply not part of our classical curriculum. In other words, there were areas where I knew kind of that my knowledge was extremely limited. And that for me kind of primarily meant that this was going to be a journey where I would have to learn something new every single day, where would have to leave my comfort zone every single day. And that can be quite a challenge. And I think it's something which from the outset kind of can seem can seem like quite a daunting task. On the other hand, I've not done anything which I found as rewarding as starting the company and leading it for the past five years, which really has been an incredible journey of growth, where you learn so much about yourself, as well as about so many different fields. So for example, in the variety days of the company, I would be doing anything from selling the company to investors, selling the company and the offering to clients, developing and protecting parts of our core intellectual property finding, recruiting, hiring, and developing our team. In other words, so many things that have very little to do with my original training as a clinician, but on the other hand, in many ways, tasks where what I learned as a clinician still is incredibly helpful. So what I'm thinking of in particular is an orientation towards patient benefit. Because we're a mission-driven company, and our mission is to enable better research so that better drugs can reach patients faster. And I think that orientation with patient benefit as our ultimate goal is something which is far easier for me to relate to because I do come from a clinical background. And that is something which permeates our whole organization, which is doing things that matter. And at the very same time, medicine is also very good at teaching you how to communicate. Communicate with colleagues from different disciplines, with patients, and that is something which is in my opinion really a core skill that anyone who wants to move into entrepreneurship needs which is communicating your vision for the future and communicating the path that you're going to use to get there to people who are going to support you be it advisors investors clients partners future employees etc so i think as clinicians we're in a very unique position that we know a lot about healthcare about disease pathology etc so we know a lot about these things on a on a factual level but at the same time we're also accumulating a lot of soft skills that are extremely valuable when you want to go into entrepreneurship
1: thank you martin and I guess in many of your previous interviews, you generally talk about being inspired by stories of explorers and scientists who worked a couple of hundred years ago studying the flora and fauna. And you mentioned Alexander von Humboldt, in particular, as an example of a scientist who was a generalist in his way of thinking, and he used a collection of interdisciplinary skills and knowledge. As a medical doctor who is heading a company that works on the intersection of biotech and AI to improve drug discovery... How were you able to get up to speed with all the different interdisciplinary bits of skills and experience that you need to run this company?
2: That is a very good question, and I would say so first of all, I've not reached kind of the not reached kind of the end of it yet because I learn something new every single day. And we really are in an extremely exciting field. Drug discovery, biotechnology, pharmaceuticals is an incredibly incredibly interesting place to work in. And at the same time, it is also a space that is evolving very rapidly. We're seeing the whole drug discovery ecosystem is undergoing massive change at the moment with, for example, AI transforming the way we think about drug discovery, with new partnerships between companies, with virtual and decentralized clinical trials. So we're living in a time where this field is evolving extremely rapidly, far more rapidly than in the past few decades. And that is something which is, again, kind of, I think, a very good time for anyone interested in entrepreneurship and interested in exploring paths outside of traditional clinical medicine to look at what is happening all around us, because there is a lot that is going on. That, of course, also means it can be quite difficult to keep pace with all of the things that are happening. So, what to me personally is extremely important is having the right network and having the right advisory positions kind of around us. So we speak a lot with people who are leading AI drug discovery companies, with people in pharma, with people in investment firms. So what we really make sure is, what I personally always make sure is that we speak with people who really have different perspectives on this industry to make sure kind of we see and pick up trends as early as possible. And that is something which for me is also, kind of again, a very rewarding way of working because I do like being challenged and I do like pushing enough boundaries. And it is always very nice to be able to learn something new, and get exposed to new ideas practically on a daily basis.
1: Martin, that's very inspiring. I really enjoyed listening to your perspective. Over to you, Shad.
0: Yeah, thank you, Martin. Really appreciated uh, all the points you made. Very insightful, uh, especially sort of the last point about not being closed off to different perspectives. I find a lot of the times uh, in the medical profession we're so Narrowly focused on our goal of treating patients, that sometimes we don't think about all the players in medicine um, and in healthcare in general. So, uh, sort of the next question, uh, you know, love hearing about your background, sort of moving into some actual concrete, granular advice we can give to our audience members. So, can you give our audience members some tips, maybe those who are practicing right now or about to start practicing? how to get started on a non-traditional path, and how to sort of balance clinical and non-clinical interests moving forward?
2: Yeah, that's a very good question. So I would say kind of my first piece of advice is that it's never too early and never too late to start looking at things which are beyond kind of one's immediate clinical role. To give an example, already during medical school, I was involved kind of in in co-founding a student-run consultancy, which ran consultancy projects with companies kind of in the Freiburg area. And that for me was a great way of getting some first exposure to the world outside of medicine, where it's about, in this case, um, business as well as entrepreneurship, um, as well as kind of the, the consulting industry. And that is something I did kind of when I was maybe 21, 22. So in other words, you can start very, very early, even during medical school, taking a bit of time to interact with people from different disciplines to, for example, take a course at business school, to start kind of a first enterprise, to work for an NGO. So there are plenty of things one can already do during medical school that enable us to really broaden our horizon and see kind of more things that one could choose to do. And the exact same thing continues throughout medical school, throughout research, throughout specialty training and beyond. Of course kind of in some ways it gets a bit it gets a bit harder kind of once you're for example within residency or specialty training as time is suddenly becoming extremely scarce but the other kind of piece of advice that I can give which is a piece of advice I receive from from my basic clinical mentors is that spending some time in research full time is an incredibly valuable experience so taking at least one year and really spending that time to focus on research, I think is an extremely important part of becoming a more well-rounded clinician, especially clinicians with, with an interest in research and interest in developing new treatment options. Because it does give you a very different perspective on the medical enterprise and gives you a different perspective and understanding for the, the obstacles and the challenges and the time it really does take To develop, for example, a new treatment from bench to bedside. So in other words, taking a bit of time to do full-time research, I believe, is a very good way to, again, broaden one's horizon and can also be a very interesting starting point. To then, for example, remain involved with a lab group or to move on from there to coordinating another small research project or to working in translational research where you might spend some time in, a, for example, a phase one clinical trial unit. And those are all environments where having a good grasp of the research landscape is incredibly helpful. Some other friends of mine have chosen kind of to spend a year doing something completely different. So for example, working for um, Doctors Without Borders and spending time kind of working for for a consultancy firm. So in other words, there are kind of many different things one can do, and all of them all of them kind of without exception. I found it an incredibly rewarding perspective and a rewarding experience to move beyond medicine, even if it's just for a year, because it does give you a different set of eyes which you can use to then look at challenges you might not have even considered before and can be kind of a great starting point for something entrepreneurial or for the next career move either within medicine or outside of it.
0: Thank you, Martin. I really love that. I think this recurring theme of broadening your horizon is sort of the whole central thing uh, as to why Alex and I you know, started this podcast. Uh, our entrepreneurship professor tells us you know, that different perspective is what, what allows you to see the $10 on the ground. I mean, he uses the $10 as sort of a marker for an opportunity. It's what allows you to see things that other people can't necessarily see. Uh, Because you have like two different perspectives uh, or or several perspectives, rather. So, talking specifically about uh, entrepreneurship. So, how would you advise, you know, let's say medical doctors who want to be budding entrepreneurs, what ideas are worth pursuing and what advice is worth actually listening to? Because it seems like nowadays everyone has an idea, everyone also has advice that they want to sell you. And so, this question is really about, you know, how do you think about ideation, A, and B, you know, how do you think about Sort of filtering out all the different perspectives you hear and then integrating some into your into how you actually uh, move forward and sort of putting some uh, on the side.
2: Starting one's own enterprise and starting one's own company is always going to be challenging and is always going to be a journey that is full of doubt, full of um, conflicts, full of problems kind of that will arise kind of every single corner. It is not an easy path to take but it is one of the most rewarding paths one can possibly take because what i kind of love about entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship is the ability to formulate to to look at the situation the way it is right now to see something which is wrong with it to then formulate a vision for how that problem could be resolved and how that situation could be remedied and then gathering support finding a team building a technology that addresses that problem or that challenge so that afterwards we're all kind of in a better position than we were before so that is a wonderful thing to do but it's always worth bearing in mind that it's not an easy path and that on the way there in the end as the entrepreneur you will have to make the decisions it's extremely important to take advice from those who are more experienced from those who've done it before and to to listen to the advice they give. But in the end, it has to be your decision. And no one is ever going to know your company better than yourself. So that is something which I believe is an extremely important thing to always bear in mind. No one is ever going to know your company as well as you do. And that is also the reason why with advice, I think it's important to get a very diverse set of advice. You should speak with, for example, some of your investors with, more experienced clinicians, with researchers, with patient groups. So depending on what your field is, it's a very good idea to get advice from very different angles. But in the end, you're going to be the one who has to synthesize it and make a very clear decision what to do and what not to do. And on that note, I believe that a good grounding in research as well as medicine is very helpful for that because we tend to be very, very fact-driven and we tend to be very good with doing diagnostics. So in other words, if we apply what we learned in medicine, we're doing proper diagnostics and then we arrive at a therapeutic recommendation, we can use the very same mindset in business as well. Where we say, that is the situation I'm in. Those are kind of the, the various options I can see. I could potentially do this or I could do that. This is my expected outcome. So in other words, almost like kind of one of our clinical decision, decision trees or algorithms going through those options, I believe, in a systematic way. I believe is a very good way of narrowing down what one wants to do. And that means collecting information, running a few tests. So for example, interviewing. If you have a solution that you think would change, for example, a certain outcomes for a certain patient group, interviewing people from that patient group, getting evidence whether the solution you've come up with in your mind is indeed worth pursuing or not. So in other words, using the same things we apply as doctors every day to a business context. I believe is a very good way of getting underway and of collecting kind of these data points that help you make a decision whether to pursue this idea, to pursue a different idea, um, to pivot, etc.
0: Thanks, Martin. A lot of great advice in there. You know, so thinking back to our last episode, we talked to Dr. Dan Geber Medine. He's a, a physician here in Boston and also a, a venture capital uh, investor with Flare Capital, and he shed some light on the fact that entrepreneurship entails some level of risk and risk management. And we've touched on this a little bit here as well. Uh, And physicians tend to be trained, at least in America, I don't know how it is over in Europe, uh, tend to be trained to be risk averse. You know, safety is important. Uh, You know, what would your recommendations be for physicians who have attempted or who have the entrepreneurship, but may naturally be more risk averse? You know, how do you get over that?
2: So first of all, I would say that as clinicians, we're in an extremely enviable position. Because even if you decide to take some time off to pursue kind of this startup idea that you have, even if you do that, and after six months or after 12 months, you realize for whatever reason, outside of your control, the idea doesn't work out, you can always return to clinical practice. And that is a luxury which many other professions do not have. So I think it is very, very important to bear in mind that we're already in an extremely privileged position that we have a very secure profession. We have an amazing qualification that we can always put to good use and we can always do something positive with it, be it return to clinical practice or be it kind of moving into, into an established company, etc. So in other words, risks are often much lower than we perceive them to be. Because Indian, what is the worst thing that can happen? You spend six months, maybe up to 12 months, pursuing an idea you really firmly believe in You may succeed, which is going to make you feel great, and which is going to have ideally kind of a significant positive impact on those around you. Or if things do not work out, at least you will will always be able to tell yourself that you gave it your very best and you tried. I think not going for it can lead to potentially to a difficult position later on when you then start regretting, what if I had tried this? What if I had tried that? And that, I think, can be a rather unpleasant situation to be in. So I think it is always very important to, to put risks into perspective. And to be very fair, kind of, we, when we deal with, with our patients, of course, we have to put our patient safety first. But those are life or death decisions. When it comes to embarking an entrepreneurial project or not, there's not a life or death decision. That is only a decision of whether you dedicate a certain amount of time to one project or to another. So I think calibrating that is extremely important. And maybe one more piece of advice is if people still feel like it is a very difficult step to take, then I believe it can also be very helpful to do as much as one can beforehand. In other words, if you can, for example, carve out some time during your current role to spend on thinking about the opportunity, getting these data points, interviewing, for example, patients, um, if it's kind of a clinically-oriented solution. In other words, taking the time to build additional confidence around your potential enterprise, then I think that can also help with making the step into entrepreneurship easier.
0: Fantastic advice, Martin. And I really think it's also worth pointing out that I think the level of risk that's involved with venturing off the beaten path, as we sort of say, into entrepreneurship really depends on sort of your own personal background, your socioeconomic status, the country you're in, you know, in some countries, there's maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt for doctors and other countries there aren't. So I think the main thing, and it's sort of in line with what you're saying is, is to sort of try to de-risk as much as you can. Uh, Again, I come back to our amazing entrepreneurship professor here, Dr. Uh, Leshley. He talks about How entrepreneurship is about risk management. You try to systematically de-risk every step of the process to try to minimize the risk as much as you can. It's not sort of like a Western cowboy that people think, oh, entrepreneurs just go out there and then they have an intolerable level of risk. He always says, I actually have probably a very average level of tolerance of risk. I just manage risk better than other people. I think that's important to really, really keep in mind. We're finishing up here. This has been such a fascinating conversation. Uh, You know, Martin, Just to end off, can you tell us how our listeners can learn more about you and the work that you've done and and how they can sort of follow your progress moving forward and the progress of Arcturus?
2: I mean, it's been a huge pleasure to speak with you. And I think it's extremely rewarding enough to work at the intersection of different fields in general, and especially once it involves medicine, technology, entrepreneurship, because we do live, as I mentioned before, in a time where a lot of things are happening, a lot of things are evolving very rapidly. So this is a great time to think about how to make medicine better, how to make medicine more patient-centered, and how to think about and implement solutions that help us arrive at that kind of better future. In terms of kind of following kind of our work and what we're doing, so normally kind of LinkedIn is, I believe, kind of one of the best ways to follow more or less anyone you like. And in this case, kind of, so we're very active on LinkedIn. We kind of update about the work that we do about industry news, about new collaborations, and about trends that we see in the industry. And in addition, we also have a blog that we basically update very regularly, where there's always new perspectives on what is happening all around us. So um, our blog and LinkedIn are probably the best two places to look.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, uh, Martin, for joining us. We really appreciate your time. My
2: pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Alex, that was such a fascinating conversation with Dr. Bidner. There were so many insights during that interview. Let's discuss some takeaways. Absolutely,
1: I really enjoyed chatting with Martin. And I think one of my key insights is around the point that Martin mentioned that when he was in the interdisciplinary environment of Oxford, that allowed him the opportunity to see so many opportunities outside the traditional career path. And I think this brings me to the point that it is very important to manufacture this interdisciplinary environment around yourself by surrounding yourself with people from different disciplines, by people who are really smart. And I would like to make an analogy to a chemical reaction where by increasing the number of molecules, you're increasing the hit rate of different molecules together, which increases the rate of reaction. So really surrounding yourself with interdisciplinary and smart people would increase the rate at which you can come across interesting opportunities outside the traditional path. The other takeaway that I'm hoping to share is around being on a continuous learning journey. Building a company is very difficult and you learn something new every day. And I think it is very important for a physician who wants to venture outside the traditional path to have this continuous learning mentality, waking up in the morning saying, I am super excited to learn something new and I'm going to go through something that is going to challenge me and that is going to force me to get outside my comfort zone.
0: Great insights, Alex. So so let me share two of my insights. The first one is related to impact. You know, we touched on impact in many different ways during our discussion with Martin, but he talked about the fact that he ventured out into clinical research because he realized that you can have an impact on thousands, tens of thousands of people through research rather than just, you know, the individual patients that you're working with in the hospital, even though that's important as well. And and he had a very broad conception of what impact means. And I suggest to our audience moving forward, you know, broaden your perspective of what impact means. There's many different ways to success. There's many different ways to actually have an impact. And once you actually start, as Alex said, surrounding yourself with people from different perspectives, your conception of what impact means will also broaden commensurately. And I think that's really important moving forward. The second thing that I wanted to talk about was Martin's transition from clinician to researcher to now uh, working as an entrepreneur was a natural transition for him. He didn't really go about thinking that he'll always be an entrepreneur when he was in high school or college. He realized that because of his understanding of impact, he wanted to go and do research. And when he was doing research, he realized a big pain point, which is that instead of collaborating with one another, instead of doing high value add works reading literature or conceptualizing how to the, the next test a lot of researchers were doing manual work for 8 or 9 hours of the day and he realized that a lot of this could actually be automated and so the important insight here is that you don't necessarily have to go around trying to find the next billion dollar idea that's not what it's about you really have to immerse yourself in what you find impactful and what's meaningful to you, and the ideas will come to you. At least they should come to you if that's sort of the mindset you're you're operating under. And so that level of organic growth is something that's important to keep in mind for our audience.
1: Those are great takeaways, Chad. And so for our audience, join us next episode when we have Tinashe Shandauka, who's a physician and a venture capital investor at Oxford Science Innovation which is an $800 million venture fund built to support the commercialization of the cutting edge science of Oxford University.
0: And remember to follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and to catch our latest podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and various other podcast streaming platforms. To get in touch with us, you can always email us at physiciansoffthebeatenpath at gmail.com or visit our website at potbppodcast.com.